Good morning. It's great to be with all of you on a beautiful uh, day as we gather together to worship. Thank you so much for being here. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I know I packed on at least five extra pounds in the last couple of days. Uh, That's just what happens during this time of year, but we're very glad that you're here with us. Hard to believe we're already off into the Advent season, uh, but that's where we are this morning. And I want to start off today by talking about a special four-letter word that you're probably going to hear used a lot during the holiday season, and that word is home. Home. It's amazing all the mental images that a simple four-letter word can conjure up. For some, the word home kind of evokes uh, thoughts of a Norman Rockwell-style painting with you know cherub-cheeked children and a crackling fire in the fireplace. For others, the word home might bring up more painful memories, maybe tense relationships, or even a sense of aloneness, especially as we grieve loved ones who are no longer with us. Home means different things to different people, but there's one thing we share in common, and that's the fact that according to the Bible, God wants to make his home in your heart. Jesus said it this way in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 23. It says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Imagine that, that in Jesus, this God who, who created the universe, it's filled with an estimated one sextillion stars. That's a one followed by 21 zeros. Imagine that this majestic, eternal being actually wants to make his home with little old insignificant you. I mean, it doesn't really make any sense when you think about it, but that's what Jesus said. Through Jesus, God wants to step out of eternity right into your life. Step out of eternity and settle into your heart with all the peace and the power that he possesses, all the strength and all the hope of his transcendent glory. He wants to move in and live there with you. And that's why this Christmas messages are based on the theme, My Heart, Christ's Home, the title which I blatantly stole from a great little booklet by Robert Munger. My Heart, Christ's Home. Because how this God of all eternity works to make his home in the human heart is intimately attached to the Christmas story of Jesus' birth. You see, the connection between Home and Christmas is not just uh, some part of a slick, you know, nostalgic marketing campaign. The connection between home and Christmas, it wasn't something that got started when Bing Crosby first sang, I'll be home for Christmas in 1943. It's really part of God's design for your life and mine. My heart, your heart, Christ's home. So this morning, let me tell you the story of two houses. The first house is straight off the cover of Architectural Digest. Its floors gleam with with polished perfection. Its walls are bright and clean without any scratches or scrapes in the paint. Its drapes, its furnishings, its rugs, its carpets are all carefully color-coordinated. Tasteful accents are, are perfectly placed in order to achieve the proper feng shui. Not one centimeter to the left or to the right. It's a house with a computerized climate control system that automatically balances temperature and humidity in the ozone level. 
A cleaning lady scours the house every day and a robot vacuum cleaner prowls the floor, silently picking up every particle of dust. The windows are specially treated to protect the occupants from any harmful UV rays from the sun. The lighting is on sensors so as the day darkens, selected lights come up slowly and gradually, keeping the right soft glow in the room no matter what is happening outside. And across the carpet on which mysteriously no footprints ever appear. There stands a group of people. Their clothing coordinates with the decor of the room. They are elegantly accessorized. Their teeth line up in perfect smiles. Their hair is styled just so. They're speaking with one another, but very cool, very calm, very cautiously. They remind you of the answer to the old question, how do porcupine hugs? Very carefully. That's one house. The other house is straight off the antique roadshow, or maybe extreme makeover. Its floors, as far as you can see them, could use some attention, especially where the dog's toenails have scratched grooves by the back door. Its walls are spotted with small, grimy handprints about, you know, about so high. And its furnishings are a mixed bag of early orange crate and later Walmart. And you just don't want to look in the bedrooms. The sink is full of dirty dishes, the tile in the bathroom is cracked, the toilet is running, the TV is on, loud, all the time. It's hard to find a place to sit down on the couch. There's a table with magazines and papers that have been piling up, an old coffee cup that's half empty, and an older pizza box that's half full. The house is a little dark, a couple of the light bulbs are burned out, and the light from another lamp is hidden because someone tossed a sweater over the lamp in the hurry to answer a text message. On the other side of the room, you see people talking, and it's very animated. It's loud. In fact, it's an argument. One of them has her arms crossed while giving the others kind of the evil eye. Somebody's pointing a finger. The third person just left the house in a huff saying, you never listen, and slammed the door on the way out. Two houses. I won't ask you which yours is like, but if we were to put those two houses on a grid with, uh, you know, plastic perfection sort of on my right and that chaotic conflict on my left, I'm willing to bet that most of us would put ourselves somewhere somewhere left of center. Because a home is not a place of museum-like perfection. A home is where real people live. Real people who are imperfect and impatient. Home is where you bring the stresses of life. Home is where personalities clash, where people don't always see eye to eye. It's where problems are dealt with. A home is where the issues of life get worked out. And a home is where somebody, somebody is supposed to love you, where somebody puts up with you. As the poet Robert Frost said, a home is where when you go there, they have to take you in. A house, on the other hand, is just a shell, a a showplace, a facade. A house is not a home. And you can fix up a house You can put in a new kitchen or change the wallpaper, but that doesn't make a house a home. The trouble with the house from Architectural Digest is that it's a nice place to visit, but nobody could actually live there because real life is full of stress and contradiction. Real homes get messy. And isn't that our problem when it comes to thinking about God moving in with us where we really live? When we think about God coming into our hearts, we tend to think of God like, like he's an important guest who's coming for the holidays. Don't we, feel like, don't we feel like we've got to clean things up first? 
before the guest arrives. You know, shove everything under the cushions, hide the dirty dishes in the oven, wipe down the counters, and vacuum up all the dog hair. That's the way it is with God. We've got to clean up our act before God would really feel at home with us and all our mess. I mean, generally people think of God like he's, like he's a food critic coming to that new restaurant, and you're the chef. He's coming to evaluate, to make judgments. And when he sees how we really live, he's going to shake his head in disappointment. Hold his nose at our chaos and look down with that immortal gaze at our failings and our foibles, our sins and our shortcomings, and kind of maybe just scratch us off his list. So if God is coming, you've got to put your best foot forward. We, want him, we wouldn't want him to see us as we really are. He wouldn't be comfortable kind of in our real skin, so we pretend with God. There's a lot of pretending done in religious circles, pretending that things are better than they really are. And that's why some people actually give up on the church. They give up on God because they're tired of pretending. And they think that God doesn't want anything to do with the real world where they live day in and day out. The, the world where things aren't always neat and tidy. The way most people approach religion, it seems almost designed to keep it that way, to keep things stiff and kind of formal with God. Keep Him at arm's distance, respectful, solemn, careful, religious. Because God can't possibly handle my reality. God can't possibly settle into my heart. Not really. In 18th century Russia, there was a guy named Count Potemkin. And he was one of the favorites at the court of the Russian Tsarina, Catherine the Great. And Potemkin was always trying to get in good with her. And he found out that Catherine the Great only wanted to hear good news. She wanted to believe that her people were happy, that they were well-fed, and that they loved her as their ruler. And so when she announced that she was some travel plans to visit the part of Russia where Count Potemkin was from, he went out into the countryside ahead of Catherine's procession, and he took with him all these fake buildings, just the front facades, and, and propped them up along the way, sort of like you would see in a movie set today. From the front, they looked perfect, but if you walked along to the side, you saw there was nothing actually there. And Potemkin hired some of the peasants to populate this phony village, and he would put them in fresh clothes and pay them to be, come out and smile and wave so that when the Tsarina came by, all she would see was perfect people waving cheerfully from these perfect little buildings. And she'd be impressed, and she'd say, How well my people are living. What a fine job my government is doing. The only problem with the Potemkin village, as it was called, it was all fake. It was lovely to look at, but it wasn't real. That's not how God wants to work with his world. He's not fooled by our phoniness. He's not cowed by our chaos. He's not scared off by our sin. He's not even repulsed by our imperfection. In fact, the scripture says he's drawn to us because of those things. In love, he comes to us and says, I don't want decorator show houses. I don't want empty facades. I want the real you. I want to live with you and in you. I want to make a home right in the middle of all your mess. That's where I want to live. You see, Christmas tells us that God intentionally stepped 
into our chaotic world. He purposefully entered our broken, messed up, sin-saturated world because he wanted to do something about it. And therefore, it's so appropriate that he didn't come as a pampered king to some royal palace where everything would have been done perfectly provided for him. Jesus started his earthly journey with no home for the holidays. Remember Joseph, betrothed to Mary, visited by an angel of God to tell him that God's Spirit had impregnated Mary so that she would give birth to the Son of God, the very Savior of the world, whom Joseph would name Jesus. And as Mary's due date nears, Joseph has to take a trip back home, back to Bethlehem. There's a, that's where his family is from, and the government is taking a census, and he's got to comply. So he's got to take a return trip to his hometown. And you'd think that with his pregnant wife and all, there would be some relative in Bethlehem who'd be willing to take them in. I mean, it's his hometown. These are his people. There's got to be a second cousin or a crazy uncle or somebody who knows his family who'd be able to put them up for a few nights. Really? But the doors are all closed to him, and the baby Jesus is born in the warmth of a borrowed barn, a feeding trough for his makeshift cradle. But birth in the straw. I mean, that's messy. That's, that's chaotic. That's not the way it's supposed to be for the very Son of God, and yet that's the path God chose. In love, God chose to identify with our brokenness and with our emptiness and with our awkwardness. Jesus was born that way so that we might know that he will feel at home in the human heart no matter how messy it might be. We read the story of the how of Jesus' birth in the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. But the gospel, the gospel writer John in the first chapter of his gospel gives us the why in some of the richest, most exquisite philosophical and theological language in the entire Bible. Let me read a portion to you as John describes the coming of our Savior Jesus, starting with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Dropping down to verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John says there was a day when God came to his own home, the world of his own creation, but his own people would not receive him. There was a day when he came to live where he belonged, but those to whom he came turned him away. They were trying to be maybe too perfect, too architectural digest. But to those who trusted him, to those who knew their houses were not in order, to those who received him, he gave them the power to become his own. Folks, I hear, hope you hear all the majesty and the wonder of eternity in that one majestic sentence from verse 14. And the word became flesh and lived among us, 
and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. That is one great verse to memorize during this Christmas season because it really captures the very essence of the Christmas story. Other translations put it this way. He, he moved into our neighborhood. He pitched his tent among us. The New Living Translation says, he made his home with us. Jesus did not come to a decorator showroom. He came to a rude stable behind the inn in Bethlehem, and through all the heavens were his, he chose to make his home among our imperfections. And it's there in the middle of his mess and our chaos that we begin to see his glory. Why? Because he is full of grace, grace that we need to forgive us of our sin, and he's full of truth, truth that we need to guide us each step of the way. Has your heart prepared him room? Your life does not have to be perfect. In fact, it can't be. It will not be. It is a lived-in life. You cannot fix it. You cannot clean it enough. You cannot make it good enough for him. It's not possible. And yet, look, he is full of grace and truth. And that means he wants to live here, mess and all. That's the kind of Savior that we meet, one who will take us just as we are. You've heard me give my definition of the gospel in 19 words before. God loves you just as you are, and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Has your heart prepared room for him? The word became flesh and made his home among us. Jesus did not grow up in palaces of privilege. He grew up as an obscure child in an ordinary village in a remote province in a dusty corner of an ancient empire. He grew up in a place a little bit like ours. Though the mansions of eternity were his, he chose to make his home among all our imperfections. And it's there we see his glory, full of grace and truth for your life. Has your heart prepared him room? This Christmas season, you may already be thinking, okay, this year I'm going to do Christmas right. I'm going to get my cards mailed early. I'm going to put up the tree sometime before midnight on Christmas Eve. This year, whatever it takes, I'm going to get my presents bought and wrapped early. If you're a husband, I know this year you're promising to get your wife something other than snow tires. And yes, I'm going to do that church thing right too. I'm going to go to all the special services. I'm going to support the Christmas concert. I'm going to give to the Christmas offering. Don't worry, Lord, I'm going to get it right this year, even if it kills me. But God says, you don't understand. I'm not looking for crystalline perfection. I'm looking for love, to love you as you are and to make my home in your heart. I'm looking for real, rough-edged people into whose hearts I can come. Because God is not impressed with Christmas trees or bows or ribbons. He's just looking for open hearts. And has your imperfect heart prepared him room? Jesus wants to be in our hearts and in our homes. He wants to be in our lives and in the homes of the confused, the lonely, the distressed, and the sinful. He wants to be among those whose houses are not perfect And neither are their lives. He wants to settle down with those whose floors sag and maybe so do their spirits. With those whose windows are grimy and maybe so are their souls. God's agenda is always real people making a home for himself among real people. 
God's purpose is to lift up the fallen, to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal the wounded, to forgive the flawed, and to bring peace to anxious hearts. And that's what it can mean when you're able to say, my heart, Christ's home. Let's pray. Lord, would you find room among our scattered lives and all the debris that we have going on? Would you find room in our hearts this morning just for our sense of your peaceful presence? That as we think about a long to-do list this week and phone calls and people and projects and a million different things, Lord, may we really understand what truly matters is our openness to you and to your grace and to your truth. May we sense your work within us. May we sense your power strengthening us. May we sense your peace relieving us of the anxieties that we put on ourselves that are not real, things that we worry about that are just not real. May we experience your peace this Christmas. We thank you. In your name we do pray. Amen.